Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in future fuels. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves? Then you're in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Astrid Sonneveld with Good Fuels, and we're going to talk about marine biofuels or biofuels for the marine market. Astrid, welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Pleased to, uh, to participate. Okay, it's great to have you on the show. For the listeners around the world who may not be familiar with Good Fuels, can you talk about the company, its background, primary area of focus, and what your role is in the company, just to sort of start us off? Good Fuels is a developer and supplier of advanced biofuels, and actually our background is in the aviation industry. That is where uh, the larger part of our teams come from, but we saw that the challenge ahead right there is is a challenge shared by some other transport segments. So we decided with Good Fuels to focus on two primary uh, that is uh, heavy land-based applications uh, such as road, rail, heavy machinery, uh, and the second area of focus is the maritime industry. So uh, what we do is uh, we supply fuels to this industry, but we are also active on our innovation side in developing new fuel grades for these markets. So can you tell us, especially for the marine market, what's the biggest barrier right now to commercializing marine biofuels? And what needs to happen, in your view, um, at the government level, in, you know, in Europe, um, in the U.S., elsewhere, to sort of create this market and make it happen? The biggest barrier, I would say, is the price gap, the price gap between conventional fossil fuels used in the maritime industry and their bio-derived equivalents. Um, on the one hand, of course, that, that has to do with uh, the quality of the fossil fuels being used in this industry, but all the more with the lack of incentives on the alternatives. So if you look at what the government could do to speed things up and help these biofuels to get that to market, one could think about opening up existing biofuel mandates to marine applications, thereby shifting parts of the incentives from where they are today. That is mostly on land-based applications, where actually the um, price premium in relative terms isn't that big towards these industries that truly depend on bio-derived fuels to decarbonize and where actually the challenge in commercialization is biggest. So that is a very, very clear clear barrier. It's with the price. But second, it's, I think, with sustainability. It's a very uh, clear, of course, that the sustainability of biofuels is controversial. They can be truly sustainable, but not all of them around in the market are ensuring that we learn learn our lessons from the past and maintain that level of sustainability criteria that has been introduced over the past decades in other areas. I think that is crucial to making the commercialization of biofuels in the, in the maritime space in a success. Are you expecting or does Good Fuels expect that governments more and more, and also including, um, you know, the IMO, do you expect both of those bodies to continuing, you know, to continue to pressure the marine industry to clean up marine gas oil to 
reduce air pollution and climate change. So again, you know, do you see momentum building more and more and more? I mean, it is amazing, you know, what is kind of coming out. I mean, it's, um, you know, I read something recently about, you know, a handful of, of the world's ships you know, produce, you know, more pollution than um, I think the car fleet. I mean, it is really astonishing um, to think about, you know, the level of, of pollution that's coming out of ships. And here we are talking about, you know, doing things like electrifying the, the passenger car fleet. And it's like, well, you know, we can do that. But, you know, some of these more difficult sectors to decarbonize, like the marine sector, for example, I mean, there, there aren't really a lot of good options out there and the pollution they produce is really from a CO2 standpoint and from a, you know, um, uh, a regular air pollutant standpoint is really incredible. So do you see governments pushing more and more and taking more and more action there as, as well as the IMO? Yeah, I think that is a very, um, valid observation. If you look around it towards sustainability topics being on the rise in the political agenda, I think the maritime pollution is very clearly uh, one of them. And I think it's, it's actually in both, both levels of government, so both national government who signed their agreement uh, that now start to realize that whatever happens on their territorial waters falls within the scope of their uh, NDT and uh, therefore within the targets they set themselves. You see that apart from having a target in place, uh, measures and stimulations to to get the solutions uh, actually implemented is clearly there. So uh, at a at a national level, uh, particularly in Europe, in in North America, it's it's clearly there. But at the same time, at IMO level, of course, this has been an ongoing discussion: uh, what to do with the the pollution from the maritime industry. But also there, you see that uh, the pressure is building up. They were always pretty much uh, the, the early ones to to participate in the discussion already for two decades that they have been discussing the, the pollution caused by maritime fuels. But today there isn't still a very clear uh, plan for action. Of course, there's a sulfur cap being introduced, but the, ultimately the, the greenhouse gas reduction strategy is not yet determined, and that causes a lot of external pressure as well. The Paris Agreement is there. The aviation industry has come up with some sort of um, plan of, a, of approach to reduce emissions. And the shipping industry at the moment is the only big player in, in the world that doesn't have a clear strategy moving forward in terms of emissions. So if the IMO wouldn't continue to pressure the maritime industry to clean up the, the fuel mix, it would be very detrimental to the overall uh, achievements globally. Uh, whatever is being reduced on the land side in terms of air pollutants and, and, and carbon emissions would be pretty much sort of the increase seen within the maritime industry. So uh, as a whole, we wouldn't really move forward. And that is something um, being addressed at a, a lot of higher levels as well. New working groups arising around this topic. So... Uh, yeah, the, the sense of urgency is, uh, is clearly there. And, and, and to really connect to the, the fact you just shared, um, that's clearly uh, true for the air pollutant. The fuel specifications are that wide and uh, you can basically put quite a lot in and still meet the ISO specification. 
believe that there's a lot other than just primary molecules and, 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 and feedstock that are just an efficient combustion input um, that just results in a lot of pollution. So, yeah, it, it's clearly uh, it's a, it's a problem, sure. It's amazing. I mean, I just uh, wrote about um, last week for the Future Fuel Strategy site about how ship owners are actually contemplating, well, you know, we'll just it's cheaper for us to pay the fine than to put in scrubbers or, you know, um, uh, use uh, lower sulfur, ultra low sulfur distillate or, you know, marine biofuels or LNG. And I thought, wow, that's really incredible. I wonder um, how long that's going to, you know, to be allowed uh, to persist. And if that's something that the IMO is going to have to Look at that so that it not necessarily, you know, the, the big names in shipping are not necessarily looking at that as an option, but, you know, some of the smaller, less well known, less, you know, nothing to lose in terms of public relations, you know, um, that are looking at that as an option. And it's like, wow, you know, that's amazing. I mean, I, I wonder what the IMO, uh, how they will or if they will address that. It, it'll be kind of an interesting issue to, um, to watch. And that kind of brings me into to another question that's related. I mean, there are different options out there, as you know, for the marine industry. I mean, they can do scrubbers, they, which, you know, tend to be uh, very expensive. You know, um, many of these ship owners, you know, they don't have tons of money to to finance. I mean, it, it's kind of an interesting world when you sort of start to, to kind of look into it, you know, how, how it how it works in, in the industry. So, you know, scrubbers are an option. You know, there's LNG, there's, um, you know, uh, methanol. Um, there's and then there's you know and then there's biofuels. So from your perspective, you know how do these options all fit together, and you know what makes marine biofuels um, stand out? It's a it's a good question. It's a it's a question we get quite often. We see that there's still um, quite a lot of confusion uh, confusion around in, in the industry about how these various fuel alternatives do compare and what is actually an effective and a, and a proper answer to um, the environmental regulation uh, arising and, and, and being planned to arise in the near future. I think if you look into, for example, LNG and methanol, these are... Um, Basically, wonderful fuel to to cut back on air pollutants, on, on local emissions, improve local air quality. But usually, by default, opting for a cheaper option, this means that you still are opting for just another fossil fuel. So, in terms of decarbonization, there is still a big big challenge that remains. You see some of the first mover countries, uh, if it comes to low carbon technologies about to qualify some of these options as maybe outdated fuel choices in the sense that they are wonderful technologies, but doesn't really help a lot in terms of climate change. Uh, so in that sense, it would be a first step from the current fossil fuel to either LNG or methanol. And then onwards, you would need to, to, to switch from, for example, LNG to bio-LNG, from methanol to bio-methanol, and so on. So it's only an intermediary solution, so to say. If you look marine biofuels, I think the the charm of marine biofuels uh, lies with the very fact that it's a very easy answer to a very big challenge. Marine biofuels, of course, are very 
quick and very easy answer to decarbonization if you choose the right feedstock. And at the same time, they don't need, uh, they don't require a modification uh, to the engines, to the fleet, to the infrastructure. It's just, they can be made so as to just replace on a one-to-one basis the existing fossil fuels. So uh, the flexibility of the fuel choice and also the reversibility makes it a lot easier for ship owners to at least make the move with a part of their fleet without bearing a very big risk of investing in a technology uh, while the environmental regulation is still being shaped and reshaped and uh, becoming ever stricter. So it's pretty unclear if you make the investment, whether it actually is enough for compliance. So that is, in essence, the beauty of marine biofuels, is that it's a very clear and quick answer to decarbonization, and it comes uh, at a very uh, easy, uh, it comes very easily, so you can easily switch and start operating on, on marine biofuels tomorrow. So where do you see, as as the, the last question, where do you see the best market potential for marine biofuels in the coming years? I think the, the biggest market potential for marine biofuels is on the territorial waters of those countries who are uh, already ahead of others if it comes to decarbonization. So, um, for example, uh, the IMO uh, member countries that are the ones to push for decarbonization, you see that the sense of urgency is pretty clearly there, that they want to prove and showcase that it actually can be done um, and, for example, start off with uh, procured shipping services on their own territorial waters. That is a very clear sort of sweet spot in the market uh, from our point of view. But at the same time, you see that in the if it comes to ships operating on international waters, that part of the maritime industry, there is a pretty clear uh, drive coming from cargo owners. So there are quite a lot of cargo owners willing to act upon that collective responsibility of making a change in the way their goods are being shipped around the world and willing to uh, offer, after having shipped, for example, their freight from the air to the ocean based on the, the simple fact that it's far more carbon efficient on a ton mile basis, then uh, start to become a world that maybe it isn't as environmentally friendly as they call it at the third first instance. So there you see a very clear drive for sustainability wherever there's a big, uh, wherever there's a clear link to the actual end client. All right. Uh, so we'll end it there. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Astrid so much for being on the show today. It was great to have you. And I hope that you and Good Fuels will come back as things continue to develop in the marine biofuels industry. Yeah, we uh, we hope so as well. Thank you very much for, for the interview. Please do us a favor today before you go. Head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking in iTunes and keeping this show visible so that other people can discover it and hopefully benefit from it. Thanks ahead of time for helping us out. And if you're looking for more insight and analysis on Future Fuels issues, sign up for my free newsletter at futurefuelstrategies.com. 